the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hart. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Roger Jones. Roger is a psychological fitness specialist and has over 20 years of practical experience in the field of human performance. Firstly, as a professional footballer with Manchester United and Rotherham, and consequently as a drama, television director and documentary filmmaker. I'm used to being in the middle of high-performing, high-achieving, high-intensity environments, and I'm used to dealing with people from all walks of life. So welcome onto the show, Rodri. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. So if we go right back to the beginning and and kind of your formative days at Manchester United, because we talked about a little bit off-air about this, was that always the dream for you to, to go play for that club? Yeah, it was always a dream. I think um, I picked up a football when I was about four or five and you know how it is. It just taps into something deep in you. And at the time, they weren't that successful as a club. I think Ferguson come in in 86. So, you know, that was culminated, you know, kind of coincided to when the interest started. And then I think it was um, they had like a Captain Brian Robson who was like, um, I just admire him. And then I think through that, the, the love for United started. And then, I was one of those. I was um, the one who cried when they lost and, uh, you know, it would really affect me for days and stuff. And then I just started playing for um, Cardiff Schoolboys, I think, because it was like a debt representative team um, locally. And then you've got like a network of scouts all over the country. So it was like a point where my mum was like a secretary. I had like calls from different clubs every every week. And I, I kind of knew there was a United scout in the area, but it was a bit, you know, it was a bit quiet for a while. I didn't know what he looked like, so I didn't know who to look out for. And then, yeah, I had the, had the call. My mum had received the call one day and said, um, the, the scout said, would you like to come on trial? There's a series of trial periods. Um, but I don't think, you know, there's always that moment you think, oh, yeah, it's going to be amazing. But it was always part of me was like, oh, yeah, I'm really, this is amazing. I don't want to let people down now. And, oh, and it was even to the point, my, my brother, massive Man U fan, two years above me. My dad was a massive Man U fan. I idolised him growing up. And there's part of me that felt a bit guilty. I'll be honest, it was a bit like, God, they would love that opportunity. And even though they didn't make me feel bad, they always supported me. I felt a bit like, why me and not them a little bit? And so that's not probably like a good place to start from, really. But um, I was lucky to go through the trials. And yeah, I ended up signing a scholarship, um, which meant leaving home at 16, spending three seasons up there. And um, it was in one of the golden years of the club. It was um, during when they won the treble in 99. So it was a great time to be at the club. As, as a youngster, you know, when you're looking um, at your path through to the first team and you're seeing like one of the best you know, squads in the history, it, it was quite daunting. But people ask me, like, well, what, what was it like being at the club? And 
honestly, you know, Ferguson was, he'd know your mum's name, he'd know your dad's name, he'd, he'd know your brother's name. He was his attention to detail more than anything. I honestly say it was, it was, you know, arguably the biggest club in the world up there with Barcelona and Real Madrid at the time. But within the club, it felt like you were in a Sunday League team because it was you you were you were mixing with the first team and there was kind of local guys doing the kit and in the canteen, so it felt like a really family atmosphere. And I mean, I know he, he Ferguson was um, was um, you know renowned for his siege mentality, where he he built this kind of united against the world mentality. But within it, it felt like. Maybe it was all part of it that he just wanted to feel like everyone's against United, and um, but within the club, it's a, it's a family feeling, and everyone's um, obviously com- competitive, but uh, but there's no airs and graces, and you really did feel that. And you talk about you know the family atmosphere. Do you think it's an outside bias of when? And I'll use David Beckham because it's the, the biggest one of them all. Hmm. When he became too big for the club, obviously you're gone. What's that like from intern from the internal perspective? I think you know you're always aware that United's bigger than any of any individual. Um, I, th- I think modesty. You know, th- th- there was um there was a big thing about. Um, not expressing yourself, but not drawing attention to yourself. So yeah, express yourself by more means on the pitch, but remember, remember where you are in life as well. And you, you did feel that with, with even with the first team, they would, um, obviously, you know, you'd look up to them, um, and admire and achieve what, what they were doing, but like, because you weren't segregated from them, you weren't, you know, we obviously were aspiring to be where they were, but, um, you didn't feel like you were inferior in any regard, you know. Like, as I say, Ferguson would walk past apprentices and speak to them. Like, obviously, he'd have more to discuss with, obviously, the first team, but he'd still show an interest. And I just feel um, that was part of, partly to, to, down to the success, really. And what was it like once? Because you talked about the highs of 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 probably living out the fantasies of both your brother and your father. What was the low like being being released by them and going to, not released, but being able to be sold to another club? Yeah, I'd, I'd had a few lows anyway. I mean, my first, I was there for three seasons. My first two seasons, I had bad knee problems. So I'd missed like the first half of both seasons. Now, you know, you need luck to succeed at United. You can have the talent, but you need a degree of luck. So you know straight away you kind of know you're, you're playing catch-up a little bit. Um, but it was odd, really. In my third year there, my, my form was pretty good. And um, I had no indication that, you know, you have mentally, like mentally meetings with your coach and no point was I said, oh, you need to do this, you're in, in danger. So I, I went in to see Ferguson. I mean, it's an odd one. Ferguson himself, you went to see to find out if he had a contract with or not, if they're offering you a contract. And I hadn't had really much dealings with him day to day because I was like training with the reserves. And, you know, sometimes he'd go and train a little bit with the first team when they needed a few more numbers and, you know, um, to, to, to for their drills or whatever. But honestly, it was, I'd never been in his office before. So I'd gone in and then you're, you're half trying to like soak in just, 
the gaffer's office, the manager's office, and trying to see what what he's got like dotted around the place, what little memorabilia, and, and then who he's trying to sign if he's got any names up on his board. But then, you know, it was a little bit of a blur to be honest. I mean, I, I can't remember exactly the words, but I do remember him saying, "Roger won't be off from your contract." And my first thought was, I don't want to cry in front of this guy. I mean, it's probably it's a weird one for him because he's used to, you know, um, motivating his team in the dressing room. There was a famous like hair dry treatment where he's really, you know, um, grill his players, but there's not much you can say for a, for a, you know, what was I, 1920, a guy who's, who's um, basically ended his dreams at United. And honestly, I, I always thought at the time, you know, it's just football, but I, I probably suffered a little bit of trauma from that whole experience bearing in mind this was a guy who I'd idolized since I was like four or five so it wasn't like someone who'd just been in you know manager for a year and I didn't I I built up such a um I idolized this guy so for him to say I'm not offering you a new contract in my head I heard you're not good enough not just as a footballer but as a person then you start leave that leave the room and then you think you know, there's a couple of players who've had a new contract and you haven't, so you're crying. They're trying to console you while happy that they've got another contract. Then you're thinking, oh, well, um, I can't, I feel like I've let my parents, my family down, or my friends. And, and then you start suddenly, so I wouldn't really open up to my parents because I felt like, one, I don't want them to worry about me, and two, you feel like you let them down. Now, this isn't true, you know, that my parents didn't give me reason to. But I was just building up this little prison in my mind. And what I would say is I thought it was reflective at the time. I, there was no kind of psychological support. And this is, you know, one of the best, biggest clubs in the world. Yeah, they support you in finding another club, but that's just an exterior thing. that There was nothing actually to, to go through. Well, how do you deal with this? I felt like I was just... Um, I was... Um, I was in the dark a little bit and just trying to find the light and didn't really know where to turn a little bit. I, I know you have to take responsibility for yourself, but you know, when you're young, like that 1920, there's a lot going on. And then sometimes it takes someone just to, just to show you a different, different way. But it, because I didn't, um, it, it was a little, a little bit tough. I mean, I didn't really want to know the reasons why I got released, but obviously my parents wanted to because I, you know, I'd left home at sixteen, and you know my parents had entrusted me with a club. And I think I think my dad saw Sir Alex at a, um, I think it was a, a charity event, and and he said Rodri's got the talent, but it's between the ears. And I was like, yeah, that's undoubtedly correct. I was an overthinker. I was um, hard on myself, a bit of a perfectionist. But even then, I was thinking, well. You can work on that surely surely that's not just you know I hadn't had it we hadn't had any training in this regard and no mental fitness work or um it was you know we, they started to imply a mental a physical conditioning coach and um and, yeah, and even even had like a woman there who'd um, test your vision and your periphery all the other bases you know you your body fat tested everything else and I'd argue most a lot of it is in the mind especially elite performance and and there was there wasn't anything in that regard. No, I thought you know my, maybe it's just reflective of the the era, and you know, the, um, but it, it still seems like 
maybe some like an American stuff, you see more like mental conditioning coaches. It seems to be more um, normal where I think maybe in, in the UK we're playing catch up. So I, I joined Rotherham who were not Premier League. They're, uh, they were a division below at the time. Um, and honestly, I, It'd, be, it'd have been great for me to say, yeah, I'm going to prove Fergie wrong. And yeah, that would have been great to, as part of the story. But I was honestly going there still three, you know, still recovering really, to be honest with you. And I was, um, it was tough. I was, I was a young boy far away from home and um, didn't really talk to anyone. And then, yeah, in Rotherham, it, it went a bit, it, it went a bit darker there. And you talked about this, and I uh, and I loved your your vulnerability. You posted it on LinkedIn about if you had Ian Holloway as a manager, it would have been a little bit more of a helpful time in that dark period. Yeah, um, Ian Holloway tried to sign me once when I was at United. He was at Bristol Rovers as a manager. Um, he tried to sign me on loan, but I think United had refused because I'd lost a lot of football because of injury. They just wanted to keep me within the fold so where they could keep an eye on me. So um, when I got released, he actually um, took over at QPR, um, Q- Queen's Park Rangers, and he rang me and um, he, he, took a, he took about an hour to speak to me. And I just, I've said it's a long time ago. I don't remember the, the, the ifs and buts of the conversation, but I just remember thinking, what a decent guy this is. He, he was just talking to me as a, as a human and I didn't feel like he was trying to um, sell the club as such. He was just, just discussing life with me. And then, then I didn't even know then. I spoke to dad and went, um, yeah, you, you got my number and he gave me a call as well. So he, not even, only did he take the time to speak to me for an hour, he even rang my dad. And then um, the only reason I didn't sign for them is because... I didn't really fancy living in London at the time. I just, it just didn't. I just felt like I'd, it'd be um, too busy for me there at the time. Um, but then, you know, lo and behold, I, I, there was a player who's who's um, who's been quite open about his um, mental health um, difficulties. Clark Carlisle, a very um, very deep thinker like I am, maybe quite academic, and he suffered quite badly. Um, and apparently, you know, he went to Holloway and Holloway pointed, he said, I don't know what, you know, um, I, I'm not experienced enough to be able to deal with your problems, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you every support I can. And sometimes you, you need that in life. And what, what I joined in Rotherham, you know, the, the manager was really successful there, but we didn't have that relationship. He, he didn't really know me and he didn't, I didn't really have any human conversations with him. So when I started, um, when what happened is I, I started, um, these thoughts of um, not good enough started just pounding me every day. So I'd I'd um, leave training, go back to the flat I had in Rod and just shut the curtains and just be trying to fight with these thoughts all the time. And then you're starting to think, God, like, how do I stop thinking? Think, oh, well, yeah, the only time I don't really, um, don't really think is consciously think is when I'm asleep. All right, how do I extend sleep? Ah, oh, yeah, by ending it. It's not like oh, I want to want to kill myself. It's, I want to stop thinking. I want to... I feel like a prisoner in my own head and I don't know how to get out. I mean, I was fortunate. I didn't really speak to anyone at the club there. And, and you know, I, I, I speak to guys now and there were guys there who would have probably been um, been 
open and be able to help me but you know he'd gone back 20 years ago you know he's like um it's like a survival thing this is weakness and you know it's if i said anything here like guys is just gonna like think oh there you go there's nothing about him even though in the dressing room anyway i was like i was a, i was a shell I, w- I wouldn't really speak i was just like going in and just trying to survive and go go back to the flat and just 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 repeating this process so what happened that I was fortunate. Um, I just, I've never had a, um, to, you know, I've never had like a pull towards alcohol. So I, there was no, I, I, or, or gambling, something that would have really pulled me out of, of thinking clearly, even though I had these, these dark thoughts. I just, there was an inner felt experience. I can't explain it. It said, you need to do something about it. And luckily I had, there was a doctor surgery literally opposite my flat. So I went into the doctors. I mean, if this doctors had been like two miles away, I don't, you know how it, is. it can be little things at those moments. I mean, you're not thinking clearly, but you know, I wasn't like hampered by alcohol. There was a pub right by this doctor's surgery as well. And sometimes I'd go in there not to drink and get drunk. I just go in there not to be alone. I just like sit there because I, I was a bit frightened of just what would happen if I just stayed in this flat by myself. But it was a, it was an uncomfortable thing for the GP because he's, he, I think he was aware of who I was, you know, I was a Rotherham, he was, a, you know, a Rotherham doctor. So he knew my face when I walked in and he said, oh, does anyone at the club? No, 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 no. I haven't told anyone, told the, gaff, the manager, anyone. So basically, you know, it's an awkward thing. He's like, oh, um, patient confidentiality to think about. And he's like, oh God, this guy hasn't even said, he hasn't really maybe mentioned it to his family. So he's like, it's, a, it's an awkward one. And, so I was like training then with Rodham on antidepressants and didn't tell anyone. And I, I remember actually when they gave me the antidepressants, I was like, oh, Prozac, that's what people who are mad take. Like I was thinking, oh, at least it's not Prozac because it didn't say Prozac on the bottle. I was like, God, at least it's not Prozac. At least I'm not crazy. And then I went home, I looked on the internet. It was like the medical name for Prozac. So I was like, oh man, <laughs> like <I'm, laughs> I am taking Prozac here. But for me, I mean, I, I took it for a month and then it was like, it was numbing me. And I thought, you know what? I just want to understand. I want to, f- I don't want to not to feel. I just want to understand what, like, what's, what's at the root of this? Because I thought, if I don't get to the root and stuff, I'll, um, I'll always, I'll always be, I, w- I won't really be able to free myself for this. Um, but honestly, I mean, I never told the manager. I remember, you know, my, my performances on the pitch, I just didn't want to play. I remember, you know, I'd be playing for the reserves and I'd be like, I'd be playing on the pitch. And I'd just be like, I'd have to think about moving. It, you know, normally when you're in flow, you're just moving effortlessly. I'd be stood there thinking like, I've got to think about moving my arm. I've got to think about running. I wish there was a hole on a pitch just to swallow me. I'd be looking at the bench thinking like, I just want to be there. And I've never been like that on the pitch. I've always been someone who, who, who who's leads really. It was, it was, you know, it just I'd notice it, like the floodlights would like be blinding me and stuff. I was like, we'd be playing evening games, and all throughout the day, I'd be like battering myself. And then, so you know, they say like your brain is this twenty percent your energy. I'd be arriving to games like already shattered and exhausted. So I have to see the manager. Normally, when you know people ask to see the managers to complain, you know, players ask to see the managers like complain about why I'm not in the team. I'd like, there's no way, there's <laughs> I'm not complaining why I'm not in the team. There's no, you know, my my performances and I'm just trying to survive. I'm basically, I'm just trying to survive life. So I literally went into him and I just went, you know, I still had six, seven months left on my contract. And um, so that's a lot of money for, you know, I was on decent money 
I think I was 21 at the time. Um, and I said, just rip up my contract. I said, maybe I said I was homesick or, um, yeah, my, you know, had st- my knee still wasn't great with Phil. You know, I'd, I'd had so much problems with it. You know, I might have said, oh, yeah, my knee, my, I'm still struggling with my knee. But that wasn't the real reason. And um, I didn't tell him, I, I, you know, and you think like this career that you've, you know, this dream from when you're five and stuff you know and you all these work you've done it and it ended with a whimper in the manager's office without even telling him what the real reason was and in all fairness to him when I said rip at my contract he was a bit like he was a bit startled because normally you'd have like a player even if he knew he didn't want to see just wind down his contract because by effectively ripping at my contract they don't have to give me any money either. I can just rip on my contract they don't owe me anything so so but for me I was like you know what I need to there's just something I need, I, you know, I need to survive. I need to look after myself here. But whether I'd been open there, I, I don't know. But at the time, I didn't feel like I could do, and I feel like I had to just survive really for, for myself. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird thing, really. I don't really look back too much in life, but it, it just shows you how you can get your grips around you. And for someone who loved football, and it was, it, it just started them. Um, no, it's just started um had its grips in me and I didn't really know at the time how to evade it really and um I'm, I'm in a better position now but back then you know it was it wasn't a mental health awareness and, and like like it is now it, it wasn't really like that back then do you think football sets people I'm going to say the youth up to to fail to some instances because you know people got aspirations of making to the first team when in reality for the, for the for the majority that's never going to happen and I'm talking obviously the Premier League teams. It's a weird thing if you were looking at it rationally statistically the amount of players who make it is like I think it's less than one percent. But nowadays when you're a kid you don't look at statistics and and that's good in in a way because. If if everyone looked at statistics in life, you wouldn't you, you, people would wouldn't achieve and push the boundaries. So it, it's a weird thing, really. I mean, what you've got with stuff like you know, you know, you, you come from sporting background. It's like a dream vocation. It's not like a vocation. You just oh yeah, I happen to be interested in this. It, it feels like a fulfilling of a dream so you know that the fall of not making is probably going to hit you harder than if you were just doing a job that you enjoyed but it wasn't you know you hadn't been dreaming about it all your life and you know like football for me was somewhere where I'd go in the garden when I was five six to escape from the world it was my safe place it was like you know when you play you know when you're in the sporting arena the rules are clear you know where sometimes life isn't there's there's so many nuances and it, it was a weird thing, really. I mean, it's a weird thing. I mean, all I'd say now is not for me to say what the answer is, but I, I see, you know, you've got, like, um, academies for six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and is is that really in the in the players' best interests or the clubs? Because, you know, they cast the net far and wide if one or two make it. Um, and you're always going to hear about the stories of like, you know, like Foden now at Man City and Rashford have been through from the clubs. Well, Foden knows since he was really young, six. And my my argument, though, is if you bought them in the fold at 11, 12, they're so gifted. They will, you will make it. And I, and I think what you've got now is scouting networks are so developed worldwide that you're not going to like slip through the net because it, even if you're playing for your local club, um, 
you're going to get spotted. Now, I, I know, um, I read interestingly that, you know, Bayern Munich are scrapper and they're going to start in the 11s because they want the players just to enjoy life and not be tied down to one sport and just enjoy playing locally and trying different things. I heard about Roger Federer. He said similar when he was young, he was playing all kinds of sport and then veered into tennis. And um, what it is, it's a lot for someone who's gone you know if you've gone like from six to 16 or six to 18 just don't get me wrong it's a great experience as well but you've you've, you've invested a lot of energy a lot of time in this one sport so you know by, by just choosing this one sport there's a lot of other things you can't be doing at the same time as you as you're doing that so it's i'm not saying i've got the answer for anything but it's a it's a discussion worth having sometimes is um because the, you know the mental health um, statistics in sport is, is are quite high. Um, you, you can't blame just the sport and environment for that. But what you do is maybe attracts like people who 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 they do you know e- egos and in, in not in the like an arrogant kind of way, but guys who who are who are looking at the golden but you know the people who are used to achieving and stuff. So there's no black and white really there's no like immediate answer but i just think like it goes down to society i think you know you look at it i know covid aside but we're essentially um in a better place than we ever were we, we, you know in terms of our needs met generally um yet people are not happier than they were you know back 50 years ago so for, well, why is that because maybe maybe the answer lies is, is finding that peace within whilst expressing yourself out in the world i mean it's, it's taken me a while to maybe maybe realize that is like i think people think oh if you if you find this kind of like um you know kind of a peace you know you're doing anything more from a state of joy rather than fear that it's going to take your edge it's going to take your ambition but i i, I don't know if it's the same for you i think someone's drive is innate in you it's inherent in you I, i'm just naturally driven but i think for a lot of my life i was driven from trying to please others, trying to be the perfectionist, trying to, um, trying to, it's from a place of fear, not wanting to let people down, rather from the joy of just, just going for something and, um, and trying to block out society's voice really is, um, we're not taught those, how those, those things. And for me, it's been kind of a, a slow learning experience. I'm probably the same, Roger. It's my, mm. my, my, my perspective on it is probably slightly different to yours. It's mm. probably somewhere in between. Yeah. It's fear and and joy and probably a little bit mixture in between. But as you and I have tested, nobody has listened to that does the sport to a higher level. Emotionally, you're going into some some dark energy most of the time to to be able to cultivate what you need to, which is sense is is fear, uh, anger, resentment trying to ultimately uh, voice your opinion on the pitch because of what somebody said on the television or and things like that. That's bad. And people will say to me, clients and people outside, where do you get your motivation from? Well, that's not an easy question to answer because it's not one, it's not, it's not one answer because whereas it's not a word, it's not a saying. It's not a slogan. It's so complex. I think I managed to answer it on Instagram Live as best as I could. 
I think they were looking for a magic pill answer. <laughs> yeah. It was like five minutes long and it probably could have been longer than that. But in terms of, we talked about music before we came on, on recording. It, ultimately each team will have their kind of winning song after they've got a big victory or, or ultimately the players will shut themselves off to prepare. That's the ritual. You've got, I was quite surprised when you said you were shy. I'm probably very similar. We don't, we don't portray this, but you're either of us on this podcast, but I think we've got to know each other over a probably course of months. It's, it's easy. Like it's a chit chat. I I think it is. I think it is when I'm passionate about something like you are, then I'm not, you know, I I don't, I I think when I say not shy, it's shy. I think sometimes I'll I'll be quiet in situations where I just don't feel um, I'm compelled to speak. Do you know what I mean? It's like sometimes, you know, when you meet like-minded people, you just, it just same as, same as in when your best performance just flows a little bit more. I think that's what it is with me. Well, those are the people that you need to listen to. But, you know, the, the shy ones, when they have something to say and they stand up, you better take notice, sit, sit up and take <laughs> notice. Because ultimately, they're a little bit of a piece of advice is going, if you actually implement that, poof, it's it's the, the, the world's your oyster. And I'm one of those people. I, I have had to take a back seat at times to learn because I do like my own voice. And people probably can can probably uh, probably can't tell that, but be it. There's maybe one reason that I like having a podcast because I can talk. But I've had to learn to listen, and that how I've done that in my work life is, you know, the mute button on Zoom. <laughs> Turn myself off. <laughs> don't give myself any opportunity to talk. I can talk, but nobody can hear. And that's enabled me to become better at listening because ultimately, if I do that, give my give myself, uh, you know, the old school of the the tape over the mouth. Ultimately, that was a punishment back in the day, or somebody's making a prank. I'll listen to what people have to say, soak it in, and then when I have something to say, they'll listen, and I and I and I and I do it like a religion. Now it's like, yep. You're not talking, James. And then just it's a skill, though, isn't it? You know, it's, it, it is a skill. It was. Well, e- it it is ego as well, as well, because like, well, my my opinion is better is more important than yours. I'm going to, and I did it as you were talking. My opinion is more important. My my what I've got to say is more important than you. Or I don't really care what what you have to say because it's boring in a nutshell. So I'm going to talk over you so we get to the juicy bit. So that's obviously giving somebody uh, a perspective into, into my world in business. Cause it probably happened a lot. Sports. Well, you would have seen it with, well, you had characters, uh, Roy Keane. And ultimately he still does it now on television. He says yeah. it like it is. This is what I think of the team. And he doesn't hold up. He doesn't pull back. Ultimately, he's got a point. He's got. He's. He's probably saying what a lot of fans would like to say to the player's face. It's like this is not good enough. If I was captain now, I wouldn't. I wouldn't stand for. It. And I think one of the things I, I didn't see it. I've heard about it. Is 
ultimate for De Gea was his goalkeeper would have kicked him in the face. Yeah, I saw <laughs> so, something similar. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an extreme. Would he have done that to Peter Schmeichel? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think they got on. So, oh, <laughs> but possibly, apparently, then. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm sure Peter would have been. He's quite, he's quite a big character himself. So that would have been interesting. But I think, would you say, coming back to what we were talking about with the 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 apprentices, the trainees, and the academies, do you think it's maybe te- teaching them in a teaching environment, thirteen year olds, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen? Obviously, the, not so it's too late when they get 16, 17. Oh, sorry, you're not going to quite make it. We've got to let you go. Give them the skill set from a, I'm talking school element now, opportunity of, I'm going to steal it from the curriculum now, the GCSE, no options. Mm. If you don't quite make it, say option A is, we use Manchester United because it's my favourite team as well but we use United that's your option A option B you don't quite make it so you might be stuck in the reserves and that's as far as you're going to go but you still get to live out your fantasy of playing for that club or option C you've got to fit fit, kind of find opportunities in passes greener you could maybe have to go to another Premier League team you might have to drop down a level you might have to go overseas and it's an opportunity. It's not you. You are, I'm going to use your words. You're not a failure to yourself because you've not fulfilled your ambition. And you don't have to, you don't have to resent the club. It's just a different opportunity. You're still mm-hmm. going to be able to fill your career that probably thousands and thousands of fans would like to do on a daily basis, weekly basis when they watch football, but you have to do it somewhere else. Do you think it's educating the player that way? it's a weird thing really because yeah you could look in hindsight you know my, my mum asked me a question would you my dad actually even asked me quite recently actually would if you had your time again would you have done exactly the same as so, I like I supported Manu so much that even though there was other clubs and you and you look at it you know like you say quite rationally you think yeah you probably got a better chance of moving through and stuff there but I'd be still turning Manu down. So it was, I, now if it, if Manu hadn't come in for me and it was like Liverpool, <laughs> it might be different because I, I wasn't a Liverpool fan. So I know Liverpool did did contact me. So it might have been, well, well, yeah, Liverpool, I'm not like, I haven't got that pull towards Liverpool. And then you've got like maybe, a, like I was really close to signing for like Norwich and Wolves who were, you know, I know they're in the, you know, a, well, Wolves in the Premiership now, but I think they were more like the division below and great. They both had great um, um, youth structures, good, you know, history, you know, like Bellamy and Norwich. And you had um, um, people like Robbie Keane and Wolves. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, you know how it is when you're when you're a kid. It's For me, the more important thing was when you go on this journey, you realise that you're not Rodri, the footballer, you're Rodri the person who has expressed himself through football, because suddenly, you know, like people have started knowing me, like other people have been going like, Rodri, the place of my new, Rodri, the footballer, Rodri footballer. And I still, I still got it for a while after he'd even retired. He's like, do you still play football, super football? And it is difficult, you know, because even, you know, and I'm, you can get 
caught up in this bubble without realising that. I think that's why maybe a lot of them, um, maybe players who, you know, sports people who finished their careers struggle because it's that sense of identity. You've been so wrapped up in a sport. Suddenly you're like, well, who am I now? And for me, it's been more of all, what about if you strip all that away? Well, you know, it just gives you that little bit of a divide. Now, you have to practice that that kind of mindset, really, because it, it is easy to get wrapped up, especially you're impressionable, you know, and especially for parents as well, who might be like, you know, like um, wide-eyed a little bit, and, you know, in, in these bright lights. It's... Um, it's but that's one thing I would have said is, yeah, remember what if someone had said to me, yeah, Roger, just this is just practicing yourself. And if someone had said to me, then you know those thoughts that you have, those very they come and go. Um, a lot of it's through your conditioning and stuff. Don't don't get so don't listen to that voice in your head so much. You know, like cause, um, I, I honestly I think that would have helped because honestly, when I had thoughts in the head, I thought it was some inherent weakness in me without realizing, well, yeah, you have, can't control a lot of these thoughts. They just come and go. That's why, you know, I know someone like LeBron James has been very active. I know he's fronting like the meditation karma because he said, like, it feels weird to start, but you just sit there. A lot of people go, oh, I can't meditate because you don't want to sit with these thoughts because you've distracted yourself so much. And then you actually see, and if you be open and curious, non-judgmental, just, I don't even like the word meditation. For me, it's like non-judgmental attention to what is. And you actually see, it's like, oh, yeah, that thought had it just comes and goes, comes and goes. And if you don't like, but I was a bit like these thoughts coming and then I was like, like a rabbit down the hole trying to like battle with these thoughts instead of, like you said, I agree with what you said about halfway between fear and joy. You can't have joy without fear. They're, they're both part of the same thing. You know, you wouldn't have fear without the joy. So it's letting everything flow, but not coming at things from fear. So accepting fear. So what, what, when stuff happens like for a lot of it, our initial our gut reaction our instinct is to run away from things push things away i don't want to feel that fear um i don't want to feel that but you have to what, what, not be curious about it what what's this trying to show me you're like let it flow through you a little bit and that's skill you can practice that but like you said for some people it can be the other way they block out joy they block out gratitude they block out that and then they, they want to live in fear. So I think everyone's like looking at this other way. But well, and I think for periods of my life, I've blocked out joy, you know, and I've just operated, looked at fear and just operated from there without. So, I, you know, like, like you say, it's, it's all part of, of the same emotions. You wouldn't you wouldn't feel happiness without sadness, you know, um, tears of joy and tears of um of, of sadness come from the same eyes you know it's, it's and for years i thought of robotic i'm not gonna let these flow of emotions and don't get me wrong you know you, you might have to some stuff will come up so stuff will come up like from your subconscious and everything but i just for years i just try and bat everything away like be a robot and then so well what if i welcome everything what if I accept everything and what if i just um you know when i'm having these thoughts what if i just sent to myself in my in my in my um, stomach and then suddenly your mind goes a little bit quieter and 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 I, it was just a process of exploration and it's the part of you know the psychological fitness specialist is to do with this it's looking at life from a deeper state of consciousness um there's nothing wrong with the ego and stuff but trying to live from a place that that you're not so tied in you're so not wrapped in and you're not living life on autopilot so for example um 
if you're angry at someone, you're not doing it from a place of just reacting. You're doing it more from a place of right. You're more aware. Like meditating helps with this. You can see. It just gives like a split second. Am I going to react or respond? You know, am I going? How am I going to respond here? And then, don't get me wrong. For that situation, anger might be what you need, and that would help. I'm not saying like anger's bad or anything's like that bad, but it's just being able to control your mind state in each moment. Now that can take practice. Because circumstances in life, don't get me wrong, no man's an island, but a lot of what happens in life is inherently um, neutral, but it's our perceptions of things that shapes life. So ultimately, all you can do in life is change your inner experience, you know, and, and, and you can do that in any situation, but, for, to, but you have to be um, accepting of, like you said, like every emotion. Do you think I'm, to a certain extent, not giving them a fair crack? Because obviously it's a very complex issue because it's probably, you can't answer it, I can't answer it, football team can't answer it, the player can't answer it. Do you think it's that it comes down to the individual uh, seeking what's best for them in, in the long run? And obviously they're going to be a little bit more astute because we're learning probably on a daily basis of, well, you know, how you talk to yourself, how somebody else talks to, some, to to the other individual and how you actually absorb content. You can have a detrimental effect. You know, I, 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 you, you talked about trauma and it's probably the massive one. P- p- people will know of PTSD with the military. And I was speaking yeah. to somebody on a Facebook messenger, messenger and they were saying, oh, I've got childhood PTSD. Or C, they called it the acronym CPTSD. So I've never heard about that before. Tell me more about it because I want to know. I want to let us about trauma in the childhood. Thinking, well, how many people have had tra- trauma? And I know I spoke to a psychologist a few episodes prior about this. She doesn't like to use mental health in a bad way because ultimately it's it's not a disease it's people need support uh it's not you are mentally ill or you are you just inherently lost if we use it loosely but then what is mental health because nobody is perfect or nobody is normal Mm. when it comes to their brain because be it childhood trauma of I don't know, be sexually abused, you, you name it, the list is endless, to ultimately what you and I are talking about of sport being the trauma of of actually derailing your life because you talked about mm. ultimately athletes not being able to find themselves. I'm one of those people. It's when I got to my end in my career seven years ago, and what do I do now? Because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm inherently lost. I, sport was pretty much everything that I talked about, everything that I did, everything revolved around mm. sport. People probably find that very hard to believe, and I was lost. It was like, well, I went into education for a little bit. Didn't like that. There's good and bads of it. I'm not saying it's all. It's not all bad. There's some good experiences that I've been able to use and use it into, into business and they've been ma- massively advantageous and will serve my business long term because I know what teenagers think like 
when they become adults. Like, well, I know what they were like as teenagers. Boom, I, I can target to you quite easily because I know how to talk to you because I had to take some of that abuse on a daily basis. Just probably a lack of respect a little bit because there's no consequences. I'm not saying that's every school, but obviously that's what sport taught you. That's what sport taught me. Of there is consequences if you do not do as you're told, or and ultimately my my, my premise to this is stigma is not a great thing across the board because it's it's an opinion and it's an assumption of we talked about this you know off air of uh, Professor Xavier and X Men of people would like to have that superpower. I wouldn't, and I don't think you would either. I don't want to be inside your head on a good day, let alone a bad day, because you're talking about thoughts. You've got enough to deal with. Uh, and I think the great one that the psychologist talked about, you know, the subconscious, if we had to think about just breathing and keeping the heart beating, gosh, you think you'd be bombarded with information. So we don't have to do that, but what people need to be conscious and aware of is what they're consuming, be it on their phone, be it Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, news outlets, because you're, you are inadvertent, probably manipulating yourself and brainwashing yourself because you had, I'll go out on a limb and say he's probably the greatest manager of all time. Uh, Alex Ferguson it's true because people still talk about Fergie time now and he's been retired almost 10 years maybe even more of the old of, of it. it's not he didn't create it he had an aura of presence about him to ultimately probably intimidate the referee to give more time well you've not given us a lot in the game you know to extend that period out so we can either win the game or or, or get a draw uh, and ultimately, it's probably intimidating, probably for the other teams. Like, oh, it's got to ninety minutes. We might have to play an extra five minutes, seven minutes, and we might slip up. But ultimately, that's your thoughts, isn't it? It's like you're being manipulated from the external, and you're not actually focused on the here and now. And you had mentioned neutral thinking. Ultimately, is that because of Trevor Marwood's book? that you mentioned neutral thinking? No, it's not It's not because of his book, but it's because I've been experimenting with different things. And then I was like, what works for me? You know, it's, you know, sometimes when, yeah, you might just read a book and something throws a light in something you haven't thought about. But you know, sometimes when you read a book and oh, that's the kind of stuff that I've been doing anyway, just in, intuitively. Um, but it does make, you know, if it, yeah, you can only change your own experience, but then why not make it easier for yourself and surround yourself with things that's not going to trigger you? That's not saying that you don't accept those things, but when you've got conscious control over certain things, you you know, what you might do is you go through life and then some people that you resonated with 15 years ago and your paths have just gone different way. You've just developed in different ways. But sometimes people are holding on to things without realising that you, you, you've maybe just developed. There's no right, you know, judgment on anyone else. It's just... That's life. Everyone develops in different ways. And like you said, everyone's different. So everyone's maps of the world are different. And your maps are always changing, aren't they? And then 
you know, that's why sometimes when you meet someone you resonate with, because your maps are quite similar, but that's not to say you don't respect someone else's maps a little bit different. You know, you've only got access to your own own view of the world, but it's, it, it can be scary that, like, that's why I think we're so, so quick to look for authority figures. And then, you, you know, you realise, like you said about childhood development, that, you know, you, you're soaking up so much in your subconscious, you know, when you're young, you know, when your conscious mind's not really developed, that that's why they say a lot um, sh- sh- there's the old quote like show me the boy and I'll show you the man because that's what I do a lot of people are, are reliving their patterns from youth but in more sophisticated ways you know they, they don't want to feel like lonely or don't want to feel left out and they and I think that the key thing in life is once you start aware of your patterns and aware that your belief is just a belief like I see some people like they're convinced that their belief is true and everyone thought that like them and the world would be be perfect but what is perfect you know yeah uh, everyone's different and that's what makes life unique but what i'd say is everyone's a different expression but be clear what your expression is and i think that's what what resonates when you see someone who's been authentic and who's got their kind of guard down because i think it resonates with people because so many people feel like they can't be authentic so when someone puts a guard down you see the other people stop putting their guard down because for years i'd gone around like thinking oh god everyone else seems to have it together must be something wrong with me and then suddenly they see me i'm not saying just because I've opened up, but they suddenly you see, you know, you, you people are just, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling, and or not even struggling, or just, yeah, I'm, I'm just not fully engaged with life. It's, 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 it's this feel of, like you said about being present. You know, you hear this thing like you've got no choice but to be here now. That's the only choice you've got because, but your heart, you know, your part of your mind is living through memory and living for a future that you don't even know. You're like you're trying to predict the future that you don't know what's going to happen. So, but we don't like unpredictability. But so you've only got here now. But there's so many things that will pull you out of that. You know, like your beliefs and 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 um, and you feel like then you've got to distract yourself. So it's easy to say in practice. It takes practice, and that's me. Like I'm not saying meditation is is the answer for everyone because you can be meditating for 20 minutes a day and then you've half oh, done much meditating but for me it's trying to be meditative it's trying to find ways to bring you back to present you know you could you, you could be you know had a great day in work but then you're taken home and you're still in work in your work head when you went to with, with your family you're not present so so for me, it's you know when someone says like mentally strong. Well, you could be mentally strong. In, like I don't like the term, but you could mean you're mentally strong in one area of your life. But then you go home and you, you're taken out on your kids because you've 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 you're still carrying energy and stress. So for me, it's like more about mentally skillful, mentally flexible, adaptive. So you just it's kind of flow. I mean. I know Bruce Lee was like, you know, he's well known for his martial arts, but he's, he's not as well known for his philosophy. But a lot of it's like, when he's like, be like water. And I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. An, if someone had said to me like 20 years ago, I'd be like, well, what's that all about? But then you kind of say, yeah, if you let things flow. I always thought like, you know, flow with this state would just be something I'd experience in football when I was on the football pitch when everything would just flow. But suddenly you see, you are capable of doing it in life, but it's the ability to be present and then suddenly what if you are really tuned in to what you're doing right now simple things can become really fascinating they can really 
so I, for instance, don't really get bored nowadays because I can, I think, I find sometimes you could be doing something, let's say you go on like um, an amazing holiday on paper, but you're taking your mind with you and you're not present. Well, you could have a better time just in your back garden, totally present and really in tune. It, it, it is a state of mind, like you say. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing, really. But I think, you know, you experiment with yourself and, you, and go with what you're in experience, not what, like, sometimes we're quick to say, oh, well, the science says it does this. But, yeah, okay, yeah, that valid, you know, might, that might give you an idea of what's going on. How do you feel, like, when you're just really tuning in? And what are those things, then, that, those those beliefs that, that are just, just pulling you away? It might be a little addiction, like social... The big thing for me is probably the phone, the, the pull of just like, you, you, you check it off, just check this two minutes ago and it's pulling you away, pulling you away. And once you're aware of what you're like, your kryptonite is in a way, you know, those things that are pulling away, then suddenly you strip away, strip away, and then you're more comfortable with life as it is. It doesn't take your head, you're still ambitious, but you're, I'm, uh, for me now, I accept reality as it is whilst trying to change it i mean but as i say that that path is different for everyone you know it's um but it's up to you up to you to kind of find out really i mean i i do i didn't want to get to a life where i've um have um you know you're on your deathbed and you don't know when you when that'll be you don't know when you when your time will be up but i don't want to be thinking oh oh why was i worried about this or what if i was why didn't i just try and tune in and do so you know you've only got here now and as i say you don't we always think like oh yeah well i'll do it tomorrow do it tomorrow you don't know when when this life's gonna end and i think we all live i've been guilty of it. you know you live each day thinking well i'm, I'm immortal here you know you know what i mean you always think oh, like death is what happened to someone else why not you it could happen to you any moment well, i think it's embracing well you and i are both welsh you know, the, the, um, we'll get, we'll get the, I'm not going to say it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the English, uh, rude term, but, and I've used it as a piece of content of instead of being like a sheep mentality, which both, you know, following the, the herd or following the flock in that case, in this case, why don't you embrace being different, being unique and being the black sheep and taking, just take it on board because yeah. obviously, that's a stigma of you didn't want to be the black sheep of the group. What's diff- What's so bad about the being, if it's ultimate, ultimately it suits you and it works with you, makes you happy. That's on somebody else. If you don't like where I'm going. Okay. Maybe we're not supposed, maybe we're supposed to drift apart. That's hard. Like I, said, I mean, that's hard because you've got to internalize that. It's, it's so hard because I think, you know, um, primarily we're designed to um want to survive and be part of the tribe even if that's pulling you away from where where you really feel like calling to go so like like you say um you know i I never compare myself to anyone else because what you only see a little snippet of someone else anyway you know when when someone says i want to be the you know how do i play like this person like well you're never going to play like that person. You have got access to what really tick makes them take. Yeah, you can study someone's technique and like copy how someone takes a free kick or someone someone takes a free throw in basketball. But um, you can only be yourself. That, that, that's a job in itself because you're stripping away a lot of conditioning, a lot of um, misguided beliefs that you've had. And um, yeah, why not be the 
be the black sheep. I mean, you, you can only only be yourself. And um, I think we, and really in in the world is full of black sheep. It's just people think that they're they're in this flock all the time. But um, you know, yeah. Well, that's probably when I've embraced it. I've not used black sheep yeah. in content, but be it, I've used the the mindset of the of sheep. Somebody's done that for me as a quote. I've said it. Mm. Okay, let's let's own it. I'm okay. I'm actually content on being on the outside. I've never been clearer on who I am, what I stand for. Ultimately, I never thought I fit fit in a box anyway. But be it through through study lecturers have re, re, reiterated it's like james you don't fit into a box you fit into multiple boxes and i'd probably go on a, even further than that now and say i will choose when i go into a box that that that's in itself is probably i could call it overconfidence some person could call it arrogance but ultimately i i am so in tune with me, I turned it, and ultimately the guests actually laughed at this. It's like seek and destroy. You know, people of dis- dis- disruption. You either got people that are trying to create havoc, or these people don't like being called disruptors. But be it you're mm. doing something different, and people are okay. I, oh, I like that. I like what what you're doing. You're doing something different. But no, they're being themselves. It's they don't want to fit into what's in this melting pot because it doesn't work. It's like, well, I don't want to be coming back to your point, Rodri of comparison. I'm not going to try and replicate myself to be in my case, people say who was my role model as a kid. As they said, Ryan Giggs. Mm. Obviously now 30 years on almost. I know he's got mixed race heritage. Father's black. I didn't mm. see that. So be it uh, the psychologist in the episode previous to yours said why white men succeed is because they've got role models and in every state state of society. Mm. Well, I prove that theory to be bollocks because <laughs> I thought Ryan Giggs was white. Thus, I wanted to be, have some sort, I didn't want to be him. I wanted to ha- replicate his success in my own identity to use Kobe mm. Bryant's um, one of the quotes he said when he was alive, I don't want to be the next Michael Jordan. I want to be the next Kobe Bryant. Mm. But people need to obviously take that and actually live it because it's true. Ultimately, he's probably one of the most renowned figures in and outside of basketball because who he was. He was going to do, if he had to do more than everybody else, he's going to do it. If you're going to work, if you do, I think what was it? One person did an hour before a game. He said to the, per- the I can't remember which basketball player it was. He asked him why? Why did you stay l- longer than I did? I stayed until you gave. So you stopped, thus to make mm. a point. And then I think he ended up dropping sixty points on that team that night. Mm. It's I was going to outwork you both physically, and more importantly, psychologically. Mm. And you could probably say that's why Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant are. In a sense ruthless in sport because they were going to do whatever it took beyond everybody else. Most people don't yeah, yeah. like that. I know I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, 
But people have to remember that, you know, the, the status quo of, you know, self-development, you must wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Why? Yeah. No, no. Because I don't do that. I don't, I, I think yeah, maybe yeah. sport, maybe six o'clock. <laughs> don't do it. And pe- people will ask, well, well, would you do that again? Uh, yeah, I would do it. The, 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 I would relive the life like you said earlier in the episode. Yes. Not now. I don't want to have a full-time job of training 30 hours a week because mm. it's, it, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't fit right now. I'm not saying yeah, I yeah. couldn't do it. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit to the person I am now. I'm, I'm, I, I've learned probably a lot from it. I, you know, when you say about that, but what I find a lot of people, I see uh, the, their head down sprinting and they, like they don't take that time to reflect and actually, you know, you could be sprinting in the wrong direction. Like, I know you don't quite know because that's, that's why, you know, we're quick look for authority figures. I want to be like that person because it's, it's so unknown being, you're trying to look for this fast track success. Like, give me five tips. Give me five tips. And like, if you went to, you, you, that's something inherent in something like Kobe, you know, like they're not, it, they, they probably feel like outsiders because they're just looking, you know, like you say, they're not in a box and they're just um, being themselves. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a skill, you know, it's like, um, well, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's ultimately, yeah. oh, I've been asked probably a few times of late. What do you see for yourself? Okay. I don't know, but I'm not scared of it. And that's probably yeah. the first time since my sporting days that I thought like that of, you know, the early days of probably you at 16 and me at 15. But I, 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 I want to climb this ladder, but I'm not scared mm-hmm. to do it. We'll just see what happens as we go along the journey. Whereas I think it's where, you know, dreams and reality blur a little bit. People have dreams and aspirations that they want to do something and I'll wait till tomorrow. Okay. Now is no, no time like the present to do it. Uh, you've got, you could follow the narrative of it's all doom and gloom, which I kind of give solutions even to when I'm watching people moaning about the news as, as our industry is going under. Okay. Evolve. How yeah, could you yeah. be, I don't know. I won't, I won't single them out exclusively, but the entertainment industry invest in cameras thus you expand your capacity when it is safe to do so then you can have large scale events there you go you're more profitable sports is probably a big one you could live stream be it you there was or there already is pay-per-view service anyway be it sky bt uh, NBA access, bit the American sports. You pay for the privilege to watch it mm. live. Maybe allow the l- leagues further down to be able to charge their fan base the opportunity to watch their team from a seat perspective. Because I bet you people would do it. Yeah, like, yeah. I want to see my team, and I see it from my seat, or a, however they do it, like a stand perspective seat fan experience like the NBA did in the bubble mm. 
people will probably jump on. So I give the semi-professional and the lower league teams a chance to actually have some t- some revenue. Mm. But ultimately, that rugby's done it because I I think I I'm definitely saw the Ospreys. I think I got an email. I to, they were gonna it was gonna be free for that one, but they were gonna give a service to for their fans to be able to see it from a different perspective. Oh, of, right, okay. of, of the uh, be it they'll show it instead of it being on te- it might be one of the games that wasn't te- televised yeah that's a bit forward thinking so I think people need to be a little bit more open to that I think I got that bit, but obviously with the Ospreys doing something that is open mind, I think people need to take that into perspective as think openly, take each piece of information, not gospel, even if you don't agree with what you and I have got to say, it's just two opinions. You could have a third one and then obviously make an, uh, a, what's the word I want to say? A conclusion based on what you think. So you might be, you might agree with something, some things that you said, Rodri, some things that I said, and then you sprinkle a little bit of your own little seasoning on top. Yeah. And I've created my own, well, I, we've kind of dis, dis, discouraged his beliefs a little bit, but it'll be a little bit of your identity. And I'm reading a, a massive book right now uh, by James Clear, of it's in front of me, but I can't read it. The Atomic Habits. The right? Atomic Habits. Yeah, I've obviously yeah. been a naughty boy and I've cheated. I've skipped into that chapter because I was, I was fascinated about the habits and the identity. Because like, okay, the systems, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah. most people are results focused, results driven, and ultimately work the other way around. So it will be one, two, three, results, process, identity. Where what you and I are probably getting people to challenge go from identity for it's very difficult but because it's challenging yourself process result um but your identity is the habit and that's a difficult yeah, yeah. thing to do because most people and i've used it i've used that that uh system to to be able to actually uh challenge people in 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 work recently it's like well are you re- are you i cheat i didn't use identity because i i thought that would kind of go blow their mind if i was to use it but are you results driven or are you process driven obviously the athlete depends mm, it's yeah. one or the other but does the result challenge your identity or does the process challenge your identity i would probably argue yes because you said a lot of athletes when they get to their career don't know who they are. I've I've epitomized that. I did something that was only ten years of my life. Yeah. Okay, what do I do? what do I do? Where do I fit in now? That's 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 obviously unpreparedness. I could have prepared better for retirement than I did. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but. I was challenging my identity. There was nothing wrong with this, the sports identity that I had and thus talking to loads of people. This comes back to another book. Brenda Bouchard's one of high performance habits. There's a, probably a theme coming here. 
uh, of books that I have with habits. <laughs> but his is obviously the three C's to improving confidence. Uh, let's see if I can remember. C- connection, congruency, and competence. So if we use it in a different sense, repetition, identity, and where you fit in. So I use a different language. It's technically, it says it. Obviously, the identity is the most difficult. I deem myself to be yeah. Roger the footballer, James the athlete. I'm no longer in that space of people. I don't fit in. That's not true. You're probably the most prepared people. And I think majority of listeners are athletes. You've got an advantage over everybody else. We are probably the most prepared individuals. Because as you know, you, you self-employed, so am I. Business likes to portray itself as an equal to sport. Sport doesn't think of that like business. Sport knows it's a business, but it doesn't think of sport, the business in the same way. Technically, we think, well, I go out on a limb here and say sport probably, it deems itself to be better than big business. You see tangibles related to athletes. I don't. I'm not scared of a business person. Ultimately, it's a, it's a mindset. I, well, you, you and I are probably very similar in terms of character traits. Yeah. Of always people pleasing, always deeming not to be enough. It's probably a trust issue there a little bit at the, under the surface. Yeah. That's hard because ultimately, I don't want to let people in. I'm going to, I'm not going to make assumption you, I'm going to use me. I'm not going to let people in because you might hurt me or I'm going to have bad experiences based on the narrative that I'm telling myself on pre, you know, something that happened before of, Oh, what's this? What's the theory called? Cause actually, actually I Googled it cause it was on, te- it was on television, like a, drama program it was a one of these um drama 911 programs about about fire brigade and he didn't want to relive uh, a traumatic experience of losing his whole crew to um it was was, i'll say it's a gas explosion but it wasn't to that to that extent but it was rural so farming so a fertilizer explosion and it's a zygernic effect. It's it's obviously not wanting to relive negative experiences. But I've also found a sporting sense of it. But this is Wikipedia, so I take this with a pinch of salt. <laughs> um, obviously, the NBA, an NBA analyst have done it for basketball, and you know people fouling people, and then people just chucking the ball up. It's obviously the Harden effect. It's it's like well, he's not the only one. I probably could think of, well, Russell uh, Russell Westbrook does it as well. It's like, well, they're going to get fouled, so they just chuck it up in there because they know they're going to get the whistle. Albeit, you know, the f- footballer, I'll use the n- narrative of now. I think I'm going to get touched or I'm going to fall over in the box. Even though if you just stayed on your feet, you might have scored. Um, so it's a narrative of... It, it, it's It's already played out before it's happened so the referee's going to blow the whistle anyway because he deems 
they've made a meal of it, so there must have been contact. Thus, in a sense, this is where the grey area is in every sport. It's cheating one-on-one, but you're told to do whatever you can to win. But at what cost? Because ultimately this is going to challenge your identity. Because if you cheated for so long of I need to do whatever it takes to win, mm. well, that's just a shortcut. And in, in, in if we were to use, I use Amazon because it's the, the, the easiest one to use. Them shortcutting with their algorithm for their Swedish one instead of paying somebody that was Swedish to translate it from English to Swedish. They've used Google. I don't think it's Google Translate, but something of that equivalent, an AI algorithm, which is a shortcut, thus come unstuck. And this is funny. Um, so people, if they haven't read it, it's, this is hilarious. Uh, it, this was for a, I think it was a cockerel or something like that as a, as a decoration. This turn turned into ultimately describing this thing as male genitalia. (laughs) So, so people, people, you should probably still buy it, but where, where LinkedIn said it was bad for Amazon thinking, well, that's probably good publicity. It's bad. It's not good publicity, but still publicity because they're still in front of center, front front and center in people's consciousness. Because if it hadn't been for something bad, somebody might not have been seen Amazon and then obviously uh, they go from there. But my point is, is habits are not set in stone. If it's results orientated, you might need to maybe look at it a little bit harder because how long term is it going to be? So if I use weight loss, I want to lose 10 pounds, 10 kilos. I'm not going to use 10 stone because that's even, that's like gigant, ginormous, but just for the numerical substance of it, what's the overall, what's the overall outcome of it? Because like we've said all along, if you don't enjoy the process, you haven't got recall. And I nearly dropped in a film there, reference there. Total recall. You haven't got you haven't got historical data to look back upon when you hit t- tough times. Mm. Thus, if you go a little bit deeper and challenge your identity to change, you will change as a person because the process will happen overnight, and you'll get the outcome because you have changed. You have changed, but ultimately, why that is difficult. It's probably because the person doesn't want to change. That's a different topic altogether. Yeah, it's the weird one. When someone says they want to change, change can be tough. You know, like to to properly change. They say a lot of a lot of seconds say to properly change. Part of you sometimes has to die. You know, like people can people can know that sometimes something isn't right for them because it's familiar because it's known. There's there's um there's reassurance in that familiarity, but that's what I'm saying. Like if you to to change your identity to flow from an identity, it's, it's always unfamiliar. Like like you say, you're like well, 
like, I, you know, for instance, I went from footballer to being a filmmaker. To, to, to yeah, obviously, I've got like a, I, I've been used to performance, but this is there was a bit of imposter syndrome. I'm a bit like, Christ, I'm a little. I was more comfortable, you know, like meeting, you know, Eric Cantona than I was like meeting some actors for the first time because I was like, well, yeah, I'm from that background football, you know, even though, you know, they they were way ahead of what I achieved. But then I'm like a fish out water, and then you think like, but then you just think when imposter syndrome is it but then you're like oh yeah you know oh, i'm gonna get found out here but then you just take steps don't you like you say it's like you know when he said about the process i, I remember in that book james clay said if you say i'm a writer then just write two minutes every day then you can say i'm a writer i'm a, because i write every day you, you, you. so so if someone says like oh um um I, I, i'm just just pulling at strings up if someone, someone says oh, I'm a swimmer but, but you're not jumping in the water every day then at what point do you say well I'm not a swimmer so it's a, it's a case of like not not being too attached to identity but like you know like for instance you know I, I wrote a book um, last week it's in Welsh language so it'll be you know limited to that um, audience but you know I'm a writer and then part of me well I've never written a book before but write every day and what the, 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 you know you've You've got a publisher who wants you to put your book, and then you suddenly, you, yeah, you're a writer. Same with business. You know, I've got a business degree. I haven't really used it. You know, I don't really need a, a business degree to direct actors. But then I felt a pull. No, oh, I, it wasn't a case of our oh, business. I'm just going to set up a business. I'm not really passionate about the process. So actually, I feel a pull. I'm really passionate about psychological fitness. Then, yeah, maybe I'm a businessman. Because I'm doing something to work on my business every day, you know. It's this, it's. But like you said, you know, change is not for everybody, you know. For some people, that you know, that familiarity every day, even. But but all I'd be say to them is be aware. If you've got that like in, that instinct says, oh, you need to do something different, and you're blocking that voice every day, don't then you've got no arguments. If you get to the end of your life and you go, well, what if? No, what if I, I don't want to live a life of what if because by then you know, that's why I don't really yeah you obviously learn from stuff in life but I don't look back and regret and in hindsight because what you did at that certain moment in time happened because it happened because that's what happens you know like it, that's why you you know someone says I wish I'd gone away um wish I'd followed that job I said but you didn't because the, the, the pull of that wasn't strong enough to pull you out of, so I, I so that's what I'm saying. Like some people, you know, they live live an amazing life in in what could have been, but unfortunately, that that's not how life works. You've, you've kind of got to make it happen, really. And um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, that responsibility lies in you. Yeah, you you might have like, um, yeah, you know, you might have lucky breaks. You bump into the person at the right time in life. But I think there's a whole. You know, I, I think there's a different ways of saying it, but like. You know, some stuff happens accidentally in life, but practice makes you accident prone. And I do believe that. You know, you keep you keep at it, and you and you don't you, you know don't let that voice in your head. Oh, I'm no good for this. You just kind of like, yeah, park that. I'm aware of it, but just like, well, I feel this pull. that's a bit stronger, and then and then um and you know the world's world's uh not saying the world's your oyster, but it's um things can open up then, but. If, for things to open up, you might have to open up, you know, open up your world a little bit. Well, it's a chance to 
discover what you didn't what you didn't know about yourself what you didn't know about other people ultimately you and i touched base months ago about about doing this recording long time ago that that episode would have been completely different to, to what we're doing right now to yeah if we touch base again in another six months be different and i think where people have got to do it here and now is embrace that because you talked about that domino effect i'm probably experiencing that with, with work it's like everything seems to be going in my favor irrespective of what's happening outside but i'm choosing to ultimately as and when i want information if it doesn't serve me park it because like well i don't particularly want to feel that emotion i'll embrace it because i you and i been in the same boat if you can't hold that thing at arm's length sits so long it comes down like a ton of bricks uh and ultimately it's gonna it's it's gonna it's gonna win it's just a matter of time when you want to deal with it do you want to deal with it when it's small or do you want to deal with it when it's enormous and I've probably done it both. Wait, the, the one that was a little bit tiny. It was, it was okay. It wasn't pleasant. The one that was like a ton of bricks. That was, that was tough. That was, mm-hmm. that was hard because there's a lot of demons I had to overcome, but I wouldn't wish well, that I, on, on anybody. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've experienced both ways and I honestly say, you know, my, my, waking up experience yeah I've talked about when I was in my 20s and well what happened with me is I had to return and I was playing semi-professionally and doing pretty well and yeah obviously because my knee couldn't withstand the um, full-time professional football anyway I think but I had to retire when I was in um, 24 and the consultant went to me Rod you've got the knee of a 50 year old ex-footballer at 24 now he might as well have just said Rod you're worthless like because that's how I took it so even then I was like I succeeded in getting into TV and, you know, becoming successful. It was still from a point of like, oh, you're not, you're worthless. And I was trying to fill this, fill this hole. Then I'm thinking, right, oh God, like, yeah, this is just emptiness. I'll be all right. You know, once I get married, I have two kids. So I like get married and like, yeah, I'm really happy with my life. But there's still, I'm still trying to find, I'm still trying to like, you know, patch yourself externally. And then I have two kids and then I was trying to push. I was basically, I, I'll tell you what I was doing. I was working on a documentary on Flex Lewis, who was a, um, he's a champion bodybuilder. No, you made, you made that then. I've watched that. Yeah, for anyone yeah, who's well, not watched it, it's amazing. Well, no, there's a funny one. I was like, I was, did a Welsh language one. It was a back-to-back and I was doing the English one, right? And um, I was pushing myself so hard. And, you know, um, there was th- certain instances where the company was waiting for, and I just had my second son, newborn. I was pushing myself. And um, I was meant to go out to Vegas and Florida to film with him. And I learned, we got on really great with him. But I remember I was on the way to work one day and I just rang my dad in tears. I just, I, I disconnected so much and I was just burning out. So he said, Rod, go to the doctor. So I went straight to the doctor. Um, and um, I said, yeah, I'm just having dark thoughts because I've, I've, I'm, I'm just trying to deflect and just trying to find outside and she went um you know obviously she's running through the protocol you know what, like what do I do here you know they they've got their like 50 minutes in all fairness this is a, it's a big ask for a GP to, to do that and I just she said oh would you act on them and I went oh no no I've got you know two wonderful boys and a, a wonderful wife 
And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about, again, externally, not you yourself. What about if you didn't have them? And I woke up, I honestly woke up and I thought, you know what? I've always thought it's selfish to put myself first and and really work, do the inner work. You know, I'd been dabbling with meditating, but I think with meditating, I was, I was more take more approaching from, I've got to be the world's best meditator. I've got to like nail this, you know, with, which is probably not the greatest approach to meditating. And just as a part of me, I think, you know what? The most selfless thing you can do is really do your inner work. You know, it was, it was a case of like, you know, this, this, you know, and, and bearing in mind now, it did help me at the time when I retired my 20s. I got, you know, I was massively into Stoic philosophy, but I got become quite robotic and, and um, just trying to think I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm, I'm just going to like, yeah, I'm still going to achieve extending, but, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm just going to put this little image out there. And that, you know, and then I was like, you know what? I was in that GP room, came out and goes, you're going to have to try something different here. You know, you're going to have to um, look out for yourself. And what about letting all these emotions flow and stuff? And and that's, that's you know, where, where I've got to is well, that place of just acceptance. It, well, what it means, I mean, I don't feel the same for you. I'm not, I'm not walking around with a smile every day, but I'm not, I'm at peace with things as they are whilst trying to change it because for years I was just trying to like just get everything in its right place so I didn't have to feel not good at, you, know, you know what I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's just this this feeling and it, and a lot of people only reach you know a lot of people sometimes reach up points through crisis or something major happens in life but I'm like well what if it doesn't have to reach that place before you you kind of just develop maybe a um a deeper appreciation for life which maybe i'd i'd kind of um overlook for a bit i'll be honest with you but then it probably comes back to this rod what we talked about ages ago comfort people covid's a massive example of that you know people wanted to change they saw the benefit in exercise if they weren't doing it already because that was your only form of exercise going outside the house but I've seen things revert back to type. It's like slowly and surely. Ultimately, this is meditation that allows you that that awareness to see yeah, clearly. Yeah. I, I, I'm able to see the bigger picture of like, well, I I forecasted what's happening now months ago. It's like, well, people are gonna get back to comfort because it's it's easy. It's, yeah. it's the status quo. I want to get back to normality of 2019. You talked about uncertainty okay. and, and ultimately what it brings every single day. Mm. COVID's proven that. Tomorrow is not granted yeah, to like anybody. It. And ultimately, you have to, because uh, I'll speak to people that's, oh, I'm bored. I, I, I've had enough of this. We'll spare a thought for the people that lost people and their families. That person is no longer yeah, with yeah. us. I put a post out yesterday for Armistice Day that I told you off air of thanking the service members now and yesteryear, be it World War One, World War Two, and ultimately we stopped clapping after a while because I guess the, the, I think there was a picture, picture of the actual person that they they they'd had enough. The people in the NHS are still going. 
they're probably pretty much in burnout. If it, it, they're probably w- working on fumes, so I put a I put a post on yeah. the, underneath that. Thank you for your sacrifice because if you don't go to get to go into your job every single day, what would state will we be in right now? And ultimately, I said key workers, peers, up here, you know, the delivery drivers, just a regular everyday person. Thank you because society is forgotten. I haven't, and I never will do. And ultimately, I'm doing it on a bigger scale than Facebook. Cause I'm doing it on, uh, on the podcast. So it's going to go viral and go, uh, not viral global, but sport has become more important than it thinks it is. And I'm a ex, I'm a sports person saying this, but football yeah. is not, is not the end. It's not the be all and end all. Any sport is not the be all and end all. I think that's struck a chord. A lot of people, cause I've made a point. It's like this shouldn't be. Ha- I referenced the NFL on Instagram. It was their first game of the season. This shouldn't be playing. Somebody thought I was talking about Black Lives Matter. No, I'm thinking about. I'm talking a lot bigger than that. Yes, it's important. I was talking yeah. of life in general. Sport is not bigger than people's lives. Okay, it's a million, do- probably billion dollar industry. Don't get me wrong. Ultimately, money is always going to win when it comes to that and if people don't believe that you got your you got the wool all over your eyes mm. but we need to remember that we were clapping yes to make ourselves feel good and to show our solidarity but that is what society is built upon you know the less the, the haves the, the have nots thus you know doctors nurses should be paid more than they are Ultimately, self-worth, because what you mentioned, because that ultimately is a different argument of the footballer being paid 100 grand a week plus. You didn't get that. I know that. But I wouldn't turn it down if that was me. That's ultimately self-worth. If I deem that I'm worth that much money and somebody's willing to pay me it, but that's where we've got what's wrong of, you know, the us and uh, us and them of, Sports being allowed to play when we're still in a pandemic. Films are being made. Entertainment is still happening. What's the knock-on consequences for, for... I know people can't see my hands, but over here, what's it going to impact on the NHS or or, or uh, anybody that we love by having... In a sense, all of these things is entertainment. It's for the betterment of to make you feel good. But if you did the actual work yourself, you wouldn't need this. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, that sport can bring joy to people's lives, but it can also distract you from. If you should, if if people show the same passion <laughs> in their own lives, and yeah, you you wouldn't um, maybe rely on sport for a distraction. And like you said, maybe a lot of it with with um, obviously I work in TV and um, obviously not big budget Hollywood films or anything, but you know, they, they bring money, generate money. And sometimes we look, you know, we have to, you know, we, we, we look a little bit too much in that direction, but it's funny when you said that, you know, when you said about like, um, um, 
people changing stuff like about you know how it is when someone like will read an inspirational book or they see an inspirational documentary and this old thing well oh puts perspective puts perspective on things and like you know a couple hours later you're back in your own patterns because as to, to to change you have to change something within yourself you know you yeah what, what i was saying like inspirational book or documentary might throw a light on something but that inspiration does wear off you know you have to have like that inspiration from deep within really and then it's just happening to that and um yeah yeah i mean it's yeah i i i, I agree with you I mean, let's say, you know, you had like, um, let's say an alien got bumped down from um, space and was like, came to watch a football game. So, well, like everyone's crazy. Like, well, these 22 guys just trying to kick the ball into this net. Same with rugby and stuff. Uh, but, you know, I know we're, it's ingrained in our culture. And, you know, I, I'm I'm a keen sports fan, but I don't. Like you said, you can. You, 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 I think it fills a blank for too many people as well, where. Um, where instead you know um, don't have you don't have to rely on sport um, to just well, enjoy it. It's, it's a game, you know. It's a game. It's not life or death, isn't it? There's, I think, like you said, there's um, life or death is what what well, um, black or white. You can't get more black, black and white, white, white with that in in life. Yeah. You know, but it's life. Yes, yeah. we like life. We don't want to contemplate death, but it's going to come for you. I know it's morbid, but ultimately there's a point to this. He's going to come, that, um, oh God, what's the dude's name? But the Grim Reaper is going to come for you one time or another. Yeah. But you, know, I think, you know when he said morbid? Yeah. So sorry to, to cut across. But ultimately, I think what you you, you, you you echo there, Roger, is, you know, people think before they act. If they did the opposite of acted before they think, they'd be a little bit closer to their goals. Because ultimately, if you just mm. start walking that path, Oh, I, I'm I'm doing it. Oh, I quite like this. Someone keep. Whereas if you think about it, and you and yeah, I have yeah. done it loads and loads of times. Never do oh, anything with you. Like it, oh, it's got to be perfect. It's it, it's not quite right. Oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. dragging you. You're yeah, not. Yeah. You you you're putting self doubt into yeah, yourself yeah. straight away. But uh, and that's yeah. the the vicious the vicious one in itself. But what were you going to say? Yeah, you, you know when you said about like, yeah, no, I was just um just going to add to what you said about death. I don't think it's morbid at all because it in a lot of um um different philosophies you say the meditation meditating about your own death is the most powerful thing you can do because it reminds you to take action now because that's what I, I say. It has helped me. Sometimes I'll just think of myself on the deathbed and think, is a life I'm living now. Sometimes I think if you write, wrote your own obituary, what would you want it to say in it? And, um, I, you know, sometimes thinking about death, you know, a lot of them, um, all philosophical, to, philosophical days, it would be about um, live. your life would be about how you die, you know, like, can you die virtuously knowing that you've have lived the life that you wanted to live? I mean, honestly, my only fear in the world, and not, not fear, but I, I wouldn't want to get, and to the end of my life, I think I lived someone else's life, not mine. And, and you know, the, the clock's ticking down. You know, it's, it, it, everyone's got to remember that. Is it? And I, I don't see that as like a scaremongering thing. It's reality. Like, I think I think people sometimes are scared of death 
why be scared of something that ultimately is un- unavoidable? It's going to come to us all. I'm not saying, no, I, I've had periods where, you know, I wanted to end thinking, but I always, I've always been fascinated by life. And, um, and you know, is it, it's going to come to an end for all of us. So it's a, it's a, you can choose to be happy while it lasts. Now, being unhappy, whether you like or not, is a choice. You know, or you, or you, or you look at what's making you unhappy and, and choose not to be. And sometimes you'd say, I'm not going to be unhappy. Then, you know, you let things flow a bit. It's um, not denying that there's going to be challenges in life. Everyone's going to lose life. You're going to lose someone that you love. I, I've lost people that I love. And, um, Unfortunately, you know, that's part of life. You wouldn't appreciate life. If, if life went on forever, you wouldn't appreciate it because you just take it for granted. And I think, um, I, you know, I, I had that maybe what, like realisation where like you just, um, I, you have to engage fully with life, let everything flow, whatever that brings, you know. And um, um, I suppose, you're, you know, you've, you've had experiences in your life that just, just, um, bring that into full color maybe that moves me nicely to my penultimate question to ask you then roger and one i like to ask every guest is if you had to sit down with any athletes dead or alive for that matter who would that be and why dead or alive who's yours it gives me time to think. Oh, nasty, oh, nasty. Have answered this before? <laughs> no, I've never, I, I pinched it off somebody else, but I've never been asked what, what my, the athlete that I would want to sit down dead or alive. And it's not one that you would think straight off the top mm. of your head. Ooh, nice one, Rod. Nobody's ever done that to me. <laughs> now we're going to get ideas. <laughs> what would be mine? Any athlete that I would like to sit down with, dead or alive? Because we've been quite stoic. I'll, I'll go. I'll go to the original dude. As if we're going back thousands of years, the soldier that ran from Marathon mm. back to Athens to to to, to tell the Athenians of their victory. Oh, right. Ultimately. What possess? What obviously you 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 were relaying a victory. But what was that like running twenty six mile twenty six point one miles in in probably flip flops <laughs> and I think but be it what that's me going very deep in terms of okay the, what's the culture like it'd be quite um cultural shock as well in terms of that you can't well that's the modern day Olymp- Olymp- how the Olympics are created because of that one person so. So that would be mine. Yeah, that, that, that. I don't think my answer is going to trump yours. I mean, I, probably you know, if I had longer to think about it, but just because I, I saw a documentary last week, I don't know if it was this, if it's been on recently, a Sky documentary on Muhammad Ali, and there's just something about him, wasn't there? I just, just the charisma and someone who was just, just free. Um, probably be him just because I was just so mesmerized by the doc and the doc I can't remember what it was called I mean I've seen the one about the rumble in the jungle before but this was more like a autobiographical look at his, his life and um, 
yeah it, it, it just just resonated um it's funny you talk about um back in these times because a book that um that threw a light for me was it, it's not sportsman but it was um he's obviously um one of the stoke philosophers marcus aurelius the, um the old emperor of rome like he was arguably the world's most powerful man and he, he wrote these like meditate i i picked the book the book because i thought it was going to be about meditating and then i opened it and i was like yeah obviously culturally it's changed massively but it was a lot about like the, the fears he had the worries and, and i was like man this is like we haven't changed as humans at all from this this time and then for me it was like to see someone who was the world's most powerful man just being open the only thing that i took a bit of umbrage with when i found out that he didn't really write it to be he wrote it for himself and i think it was discovered and you know and then it's passed down and being published so in a way would he have been so open if he knew people were going to read it so in a way when you read it you're a little bit like should i be reading it but it did throw a light to me about you know these powerful people and and they have the same worries as everyone else and i think once you realize like you we're human everyone's carrying something with them like yeah obviously some people build up more layers than others and then that might hit into a wall but welcome to being human and i just think it's being able to embrace that by but doing something about it and then you realize you everyone's in the same boat together it's just um just everyone expresses themselves in different ways and my last question before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away what would that be i'm just saying it's straight what came to my head what came was um learn to flow with life and not resist it so once again, Rodri, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Welcome. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. That's my pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Rodri and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Twitter at Rodri underscore G underscore Jones. So I'll spell that out for you. That's R-H-O-D-R-I underscore g underscore jones and at the usual james o roberts 11 and again i'll spell that out for you that's j a m e s the letter o r o b e r t s and the number 11 and again you can do the same on instagram and facebook and in addition if you had any follow-up questions don't hesitate to shoot them over as well and finally don't forget to check Rodri out on Twitter and as always don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources but not forgetting I've also started a new Facebook group especially for the podcast which you can find by typing in the mindset athlete all the links will be in the descriptions you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsyn.com under the category general So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.